Okay, I've got a title for what I want to talk about. It's uh, Beyond the Horizon. Are you a person who lives of dreaming, lives dreaming about what could be? Are you a person who lives dreaming about what should be? I'm getting some people nodding at me. Some people's eyes are lighting up. Some people are saying, "Mm, that's me, that's me. Others of you are just staring at me blankly. What's that mean? It means living with a confidence inside you that whatever comes your way, you carry on. Because you've got a hope and a dream that's bigger than what you see. Some people will say you're frustrated. Some people tell me, Bill, all I have hear you say is you're frustrated. I was told this a little while ago by a really dear friend who loves me to pieces. Uh, but she came after me and said, Bill, you're just always saying oh, you're disappointed. And I said, no, no, no. Oh, she, no, it wasn't disappointed. It was frustrated. And she, I said, no, no, no. You need to understand. I live with a picture of what could be and what should be. And it's different to what is. And so I'm not, I'm not disappointed about being here, but I do not plan to camp here. I don't plan to live here. I believe that there is more for me to obtain than what I've obtained. There's more for me to experience of God's kingdom and his glory than I've yet experienced and seen. I believe in my Bible. I believe in my God of his word because he says something that, that puts a fire and a passion in me for the future that's not yet here. Yeah? Listen to um, Psalm 19 from verse 7. God's word is perfect in every way. I think we've been singing that. How it revives our souls. His laws lead us to truth and his ways change the simple into wise. Oh, thank God (laughs) that I can become wiser and less simple. His teachings make us joyful and radiate his light. His precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. The revelation light of his word makes my spirit shine radiant. Every one of the Lord's commands is right. Following them brings cheer. Nothing he says ever needs to be changed. The rarest treasure of life, rarest treasures of life are found in his truth. That's why I prize God's word like others prize the finest gold. Nothing brings the soul such sweetness as seeking the living words. For they warn us, his servants, and keep us from following the wicked way, giving a lifetime guarantee. Great success to every obedient soul. Without his revelation light, how would I ever detect the waywardness of my heart? Lord, forgive my hidden flaws whenever you find them. Keep cleansing me, God, and keep me from my secret selfish sins. May they never rule over me, for only then will I be free from fault and remain innocent of rebellion. So may the words of my mouth and my meditation thoughts and every moment of my heart be always pure and pleasing, acceptable before your eyes, my only redeemer, my protector God. This is my intention this morning, is to stir your faith, to stir your faith, so that your faith 
will help you accomplish all that God intends to keep you pure. Your faith will keep you pure. Your, your calling will become clearer as your faith is stretched and clarified. Faith is an interesting word. Uh, it was a completely secular word when it was uh, taken and used to talk about what we believe. It was a word that means uh, to be persuaded. So if you have an argument about something that you think is right, your football team is the greatest football team, or your car is the best type of car, I'll talk about something I know about. <laughs> Cars, not football. <laughs> and I, <coughs> I want to convince you that BMW is the best. And a 335D is the car to have. Five series. No, 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 no. I need to persuade you about three series. More economical. It's quicker. It's quicker. You can get the same amount of people in it with a squeeze. Not the same amount of luggage. But you see, uh, and I want to take my, my belief and persuade you so that you have faith to believe that what I'm saying is true. And Kinley will come to realize. He will come to realize. He's been in it enough. He, he needs to come to realize. And that's what faith means. It means being persuaded by somebody else and having something, ah, okay, I'm persuaded by that argument. I'm persuaded by that presentation. I am persuaded, and I begin to live in light of that persuasion. And I want you to know, I think you should know this, I think maybe you do know this, that faith is a gift from God. Belief is something that comes from within you, but faith comes from God. It's a gift, the Bible tells us. And it's God's revelation of himself to you he, that persuades you that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, that he will forgive you. That he, and it manifests, that, that revelation of who he is begins to manifest through four little steps that are the picture of faith. These four little steps are that you ask for forgiveness because you have, you're persuaded that actually you're sinful and he's righteous and that you need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And suddenly that revelation, the persuasion of God, is that I love you so much that I'll send my son to die in your stead. I'm persuaded that he loves me. And then I'll, ah, please forgive me. If you love me this much, please forgive me. And it, suddenly my belief that he loves me changes to a step of faith. I'm asking for forgiveness. I don't know that he can forgive me. I believe that he can, but I don't know what that looks like. How does that? But I'm going to take a step. We call it a step of faith. Step of faith. To, I, I heard something, and I'm persuaded that he'll forgive me. So we ask God to forgive us. And then that moment of forgiveness begins to materialize in us as redemption. Suddenly we begin to choose to live differently because we know that that old way of life was a different way of life. I don't want to go in that direction. I've been set free from the controlling elements of my soul that took me in that way, away from God. But here I am now. I'm redeemed. I've been bought at a price. And suddenly I choose to live in a different way. And that redemption begins to manifest in righteousness. And I choose to say, I'm not going to pilfer. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to do this. Not because of rules and regulations, but because of a revelation and a heart change that's called faith. 
growing in me and I begin to live differently. And I choose to actually move into a righteous place of living that manifests in worship. And it's not singing songs. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of praise. It's a life of an awareness of God. This is what faith is. See, I'm, I'm just laying this little bit of a foundation because I want to challenge you with something that Paul challenges me with. And I was challenged by this and confused by this because in Romans, Paul says very clearly, very, well, I don't know if it's clear. I've had to work at it and I've had to think about it. And Ellen says to me when, I'm, when I was trying to talk to her about this, she says, oh, you're too complicated. I said, no, I'm not too complicated. This word will help me but I've got to understand it and I've got to apply myself to understanding it and I've got to dig into it so that I can actually do something with it because I want to increase my awareness of God and it will look like I've got more faith. But what it is, it's I've got more awareness of God because that's what faith is. So Paul says this, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. Then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Okay, so just do that, will you? For a minute. How do you do that? How do you measure, how do you assess your worth using your God-given faith as your measuring tool? How do you do that? I asked Emma this, and, and I've left you hanging, didn't I? On Friday, I didn't give you the answer. How do we do that? How do we measure ourselves using our faith? Well, I want to put it as simply as I can. And if you get lost, come and take a picture of these notes and work through it for yourself. Work through the scriptures. Think about it. But this is, this is what I think. Self-esteem. See, so if we use our God-given faith as a standard of measurement, then you will see your true value. So our true value is the object of the exercise, to get a revelation of our true value. Okay, but we get, need to use our faith in God. So what is our faith in God? My faith in God is understanding who he is and what he is. That's what I have to use. I have to understand that he is a God who forgives, that he's a God who loves, that he's a God of grace, he's a God of mercy. I have to understand those revelations. But the object is to bring transformation here so that I can live differently, so that my faith manifests in a different lifestyle, not just a religious man. You see, because uh, I started all of my notes here, and you, you often see my scribbly notes, but I started with this thought believers behave but faith-filled followers function it was my it was just this thought as i'm trying to wrestle with how do i measure how do i measure because my default was to actually say well my faith actually god i i pray for the sick that's my that's an evidence of my faith uh i I don't lie god i've stopped stealing i don't pinch anything you know i try to do that and i read my bible And I pray. And all of those things are the mark of a believer. Because you can believe and you can religiously read your Bible. Uh, 
A few years back, we had Alpha here. If you're hot in here, can we open the windows, some of the windows? Can we push that door open, Ellie? Because I'm working up a sweat. And I've hardly started. Um, we had Alpha running. And uh, it was a lunchtime Alpha. And there were some senior ladies on it who used to go to Calvaria Chapel. This is how long ago it was. They were in Calvaria Chapel before it was closed, before it was sold. And uh, we were running Alpha, and they were on Alpha. These ladies were in their 80s. And they'd, they'd gone to chapel all of their lives. One of them was so kind of proud that she had been carried as a babe in arms to chapel. And it had always been a chapel. And she was heartbroken that it had to close and that it was dead and disappeared. But they were on Alpha. And they had the Holy Spirit day here. It was, should have been a weekend, but it, because of, uh, they needed this. They were doing a day here and something else somewhere else. And they, they were upstairs, and they used to do Alpha before lunch. And they would do Alpha, and then they'd come down and have lunch together. And I was walking down that corridor, and these two ladies came towards me. Uh, as they came around the corner, they came towards me. <gasps> and they said, Bill, Bill. I said, What? What? And they said, we've met Jesus. We've met Jesus this morning. In their 80s, going to church, believing in God. But that morning they met him. They met him. One of those ladies had a, 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 disformed, uh, a, a dysfunctional arm. She couldn't move it uh, like this uh, because it had been broken uh, many years before and she was limited in her movement. And... Uh, Ellen and I had the privilege of spending uh, a day with them, uh, praying with them and talking to them about Holy Spirit. And uh, we prayed for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These, these two ladies were part of a, an Alpha course. And uh, one of them, as we prayed for her, these eight ladies in their 80s, you know, good chapel people, you know. And we prayed for one lady, and she got wobblier and wobblier. Is that a word? It was an experience. She got wobblier and wobblier and wobblier and wobblier. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was just intoxicating her. And we eventually had to sit her down. And she, she just sat, just soaking in the presence of God. And the other lady, as we prayed for her, the one with the arm that didn't work properly, as we prayed for her, she had her eyes shut. And, and she began to raise her hands and she began to raise her hands, and she began to raise her hands, and she was on her tiptoes, and she was raising her hands, her eyes closed, and as we just prayed for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And afterwards, she was wobbly as well. And we said, what was happening? She said, I could see Jesus reaching out to me. And as I saw him reaching to me, I was reaching to him. And look, he's healed my arm, he's healed my arm. It's encountering the King it's, that's, what, that's what stirs faith. We can be a believer and never meet the king. We can believe in him but never encounter him. And faith is all about building that platform for function where he can move through us and we can function as he's called us to function. And so Paul is saying, I want you to understand your true value, your true self-esteem. And self-esteem is all about understanding our self-worth, understanding self-regard, understanding self-respect, understanding self-integrity. It's about having these clear understandings of who we are. That I am really worth His love. I am really worth His love. He loves me. 
That's the God that I serve. It's not because I'm good. It's because he's great. And my, my revelation of him, suddenly my faith begins to grow and extend. I suddenly have a regard for me. I suddenly have a consideration for me. Actually, this won't do me good, but this will do me good and give him glory. And suddenly, I begin to consider my ways. I have a regard for my, my actions. I'm concerned about giving him glory. I'm concerned about it. I think about it. I want to accomplish that. Self-respect means suddenly I have a confidence and an honor and a dignity in my identity. So I care about me and I look after me and I do what is right because it gives him glory and because he's invested himself in me. Not because I've earned that respect, but because he loves me. It generates something in me and it's the manifestation of faith. Which leads me back to the forgiveness and the redemption and the righteousness and the worship and that pattern of faith. And then suddenly my faith is looking towards away from myself and towards Jesus, because faith is always focused on Jesus. It's never focused on the things that I'm doing. It's focused on the, the, the majesty of his glory. That's what really matters. That's what makes the difference. It's all about Jesus. And I just want to show you my scribbled notes, because I'm doodling as I'm thinking and praying, and, and suddenly I realize I'm drawing Jesus' name, and then I'm just highlighting it, and, and, and just it's not very good, but it's... But for me, it was just, I want the focus of what I say to be my king. I don't want to just believe and behave as a consequence of my belief. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I want my faith to look like something, not because I'm earning his love, but because I'm living out his love. And it's causing others to find something in me that they can see of him. You see, because to measure something, you've got to measure it. You've got to compare and contrast. And I want to say this. If Christ is more to you, if Christ is all to you, you are more. You're more. You live differently. You live bigger. You, you think differently because of Christ. If Christ is less to you, then you live less. You live at a, at a different level. It's a standard that, that is manifest in your, rep, your understanding of who Jesus is and, and what he is to you. Is he your savior or is he just God? And I say that reverently but irreverently. Is he just God or is he your king? Is he your master? Is he your, your friend, your, your warrior king that you will follow into battle, that you will give your life for because that's the manifestation of faith you see your measure rises or falls with your measure of him i'll say it again your measure rises or falls with your measure of him so if you're if your understanding of god is limited then you you just limit your understanding of what you have to do well he's a god who loves me so i just you know i'm loved you know paul speaks to the romans uh, and there was a a whole down through history, this has been a pattern of argument that says, well, God is a God of grace, and so the more sin I can take of, the more grace he can pour out. So I'm honoring God. I'm giving God room to be greater and greater. The, the worse I can be is the greater he can be. And it was a philosophy of lifestyle, and Paul writes about that. And he 
talks to that and nails it. He says, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's a bad way to behave. See, valuing him is the value that you have. If you value him, suddenly you, it's not about I, I choose to be this way because I'm valued, but suddenly I understand that because he has value and he loves me, then I must have value. I must have value because he's just beautifully valuable. Your esteem, which is respect and admiration of him, is the esteem or the respect and admiration that you have. See, what you sow, you reap. What you understand, it changes the way that you live. It gives you a pattern for his glory to manifest in you. Your treasure in him is the treasure that you have. And I so wanted to put in here the song, The Measure of Your Treasure, uh, that the kids used to sing. And uh, if I just sew that little line into your heads, now you've got the song going around in your mind and the actions. Uh, measure of, yeah, yeah, got it there? Stop, stop. It's an earworm. So if you want to measure yourself soberly, measure your faith in Christ. Look at Christ. How do you esteem him? How do you value him? How do you live your life appropriately in light of his glory and his majesty? What does it do for you? Come with me to Romans 12, 13, uh, 12 3. It just one verse. It says this. The only way to accurately understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are or what we do for him. That's the message. It's, so what is God? God is majestic and mysterious. He's magnificent and beautiful. He's graceful and forgiving. He's awesome and terrifying. He speaks and the world is. He's the creator. He's the author, the finisher. He is who he says he is. Paul says this in, um, to, right into the Thessalonians in his second letter, uh, chapter 1 verse 11 we constantly pray that our God will empower you to live worthy of all that he has invited you to experience and we pray that by his power all the pleasures of goodness and all works inspired by faith would fill you completely faith inspires work faith looks like something it's no good just saying you believe and you don't love it's no good just saying, I believe, and you don't give of yourself. It's no good. It doesn't work. It doesn't wash according to Scripture. And I need to allow His majesty and His mystery to intoxicate me, to draw me, as the song we were singing says, draw me, draw me closer, draw me. What draws me? His majesty, His mystery. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to see your glory fill a nation. I want to see your glory fill a town. I want to see your glory fill our families. I want to see your glory fill our schools. I want to see your glory manifest in business. I want to see your glory in our, in our uh, local authority. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. I, I, I was in a meeting uh, several years back now when we were asked by the local authority to present a five uh, projects that church did, five projects, that was four, five projects that church did, compared and contrasted to five projects that the local authority did. And we did a day conference 
And we had, I don't know, four or 500 delegates came uh, to the Strati um, um, uh, Puck Scarlets. And, um, but in the planning meeting, the very first planning meeting that we had, it was me and another church leader organizing this uh, on behalf. It was the chief executive, the, the ex-chief executive who initiated the project because he's a Christian. But he wanted, to, he wanted people to be aware of the uh, evidence of the, of the Christian faith in community. And so we did this day presentation. But, it, but the fir- very first planning meeting, uh, uh, my mate and I sat in this boardroom with uh, maybe a dozen local authority uh, executives um, representing different departments that were going to have something to say. And this one guy, as soon as I started to speak, he stopped uh, uh, stopped me and said, uh, this needs to be an all-faith conversation. This needs to be an all-faith presentation. And I... S- I said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I said, uh, the Christian faith does 98% of the voluntary, the faith voluntary work in Wales, 98%. All other faiths do 2% of the faith, of the faith voluntary work in community. And it's focused on their organizations, their faith groups. The Christian church does 98%. In this t- county, that's worth £8 million. Pounds. There's, uh, there's, um, there's 19,000 Christians in church in Carmarthenshire on the biggest Sunday in the year. 3,650 volunteers a week work from the church in community. I said, it's your job, your job to go and find the 2%. But we represent 98%. Never saw him again. <laughs> Never saw him again. Because he, he was, a, a, he was a, a, an antagonist against Christianity in the local authority, this personality. As soon as he'd gone, we found out that most of these people sat around this table were Christians. But they kept it quiet. Nobody knew. Because of the antagonism that they would face and i want to say that's that's we need to punch above our weight we need to understand the authority and the majesty that we represent because that's where our faith begins to rise it's not about being arrogant it's about being confident in the one that we follow it's about being people of faith that say actually we are significant we are important not because of what we do but because of who he is It's because of who he is, and he creates opportunity for the church to shine its light. I'm completely lost in my notes now. (laughs) So where do I pick it up? Oh, here. Faith will explore what revelation reveals. Faith will explore what revelation reveals. As you believe, as you read scripture, as you encounter God, as you have prophetic words spoken over you, as you... Begin to hear God's voice for yourself. Because of your, your steps of faith, your, be, your understanding of Scripture, suddenly you'll begin to journey in the direction that God wants you to journey. And when it becomes difficult and complicated because you can't see over the horizon, you can't be, see beyond what is in front of you, suddenly you shift gear and you become a person of faith that is manifesting that faith in the in the extraordinary way that you choose to live. So Hebrews 12, this is really just my introduction. Hebrews 12 
2 says, Fix your gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Our faith needs to be something that is perfected. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be understood. That's why we're challenged by Paul to assess our worth by using faith. Using faith. And the more I understand of God, then actually the more I understand who I am. And the more I understand who I am, I can be more who I am in God. Because he's created me to be more than I am. And so I'm limited maybe by my experience, by my upbringing, by the the people that I've hung around with. And a a good friend of mine years ago used to say this all the time, all the time. You want to be a giant, mix with giants. If you want to be a big thinker, hang out with people who think big. If you want to be more than you are, hang out with people that are more than you are. We can all kind of hang around with people that make us feel a little bit more superior. It's, it, and it's, it just pampers our ego. But I'll tell you what, hang out with people that make you uncomfortable spiritually. And I don't mean because they're wacky and weird. It's because they believe God more than you do. It's because their faith is bigger than your faith. And you see, we can, you, you can become a bit hung up with this because there are different levels of faith. There are people in here that have got more faith than me. There are people in here that have got less faith than me. Absolutely, because it's the nature of, and, and I'm not intimidated by these people, but I'm inspired by these people that have got more faith than me. And I'm challenged by the people who've got less faith than me to be more of a light to them so that I can maybe try and, I was going to say chide, but I don't mean that. I mean challenge, that might be better, or inspire or encourage. And this morning what I wanted to do is what I, I want to try and challenge you to think about your faith. How big is it? How little is it? Have you got faith or have you just got belief? You see, because if you have smaller faith than others, you know, well, that's okay. Just But recognize where you are. Measure yourself in light of what God is to you. Do you believe that he can do what he says he can do? Do you believe that he is able to change a nation in a day? Do you believe that he can bring transformation to irredeemable people? Do you think he can save them? Well, my goodness me, he saved you. He did. He saved you. He saved me. For goodness sake, he can save anyone that wants saving. I loved the story of the Hebridean revival where they said, everybody that could be saved was saved on an island. Everybody that could be saved, they recognized that not everybody was a follower of Christ because some people would not be saved. And that's biblical. Some people will choose to not follow Jesus. But everybody that could, did. Every, and I think, wow, what would that look like internationally? What would that look like if suddenly the church began to have faith to believe that what we see on our horizon is not the limit of what God can do. That there are, this is the amount of churches that this town can, can handle. Somebody spoke to me this morning. They were, we were, it's a friend and we were praying and he just said to me, this child, Bill, I just sense God saying, stretch your tent pegs, unpeg, repeg. Unpeg, repeg. Didn't say it like that, but that's what I was hearing. 
And he just was encouraging me. And I think, God, and I said to him, please pray that I would have wisdom. That, that we would have wisdom as a fellowship to, to actually see over the horizon. That we would be people of faith. That, it, that we're not limited by what we can see. But that we, are, we have a faith to believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And it's not just a trite little prayer that we pray. And we believe it, but we don't have faith to act in light of it. What if we have greater faith than others? Am I lesser or greater? I just want to say that it, all this does is produces in me, it should be, it should be producing it, an interdependence. If you've got more faith than me, I need to hang around with you. I need, I need to get evol- involved with you, and you need to ha- get involved with my life. So that I, I need to lean into what you carry. But also, if I've got more, if I've got more, then I need to be a servant to serve those that have got less. And that interdependence and servanthood actually builds a community of faith. A community of faith. And suddenly we'll become uh, giants in faith. And we can actually go and deal with the giants in the land. So where do my notes go? Ah, here we go. I'm following me scribble. Oh, yeah, I want to read to you. I'm going to finish in a few minutes. I just want to read some scripture. My voice is going, so I'm, so I'm limited. Uh, I want to read Hebrews 11, first 16 verses, and I want to read it and talk to you as I, t- as I just read a line. And I've got some thoughts about it, and you can read it for yourself. And think about it and, and then just choose to do something with what God is stirring in you this morning. Now, faith brings our hopes. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Um, and you can follow it if you want to and underline it for yourself. Or you can just listen and let it wash over you. But please make a note. Go back to Hebrews 11, the first 16 verses. And just begin to think about your faith. Faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. Faith brings our hopes into reality. Hope, hope, hope is wanting something to be with no guarantee. Hope is wanting something to be with no guarantee. I hope that Llanelli is saved. I hope that this town has a righteousness running through the streets. I hope. I hope. I can't see it yet. I see the opposite. I hope that hope would manifest in this community. That children would have hope for a future that they don't see. That they would have hope that their parents would navigate marriage appropriately and properly, that their hope that they won't be hurt in their journey would be their experience, that their hope that their school days would be great days, not difficult days. Now, I know life is difficult and, 
I'm not asking for a bed of roses because a bed of roses has thorns. We all know that. But I, I, I believe faith and this faith in me, it, it stirs hope in me. And it becomes a foundation for how I choose to live. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith in, is what previous generations were recommended for. Faith empowers us to see the uni- that the universe was created and is beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Faith moved, able to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to offer God than his brother Cain. And God declared him righteous because of his offering of faith. By his faith, Abel still speaks instructions to us today, even though he is long dead. For years, I was confused about Cain and Abel. It looked like God had a favorite. Cain had had tilled the land and had created a harvest, and he brought his offering to God. And he said, God, here's my offering. I've I've created this with my own hands. um, We're teasing Ellen at the moment because we're, we're enjoying the benefits of her seed sowing in the greenhouse. And the garden is a riot of flowers and fruit and veg. And, and, it's all be- and she's, we found her saying very regularly, Nick Kate, and if she's listening, she's, list- she's uh, doing something next door. Uh, so Ellen, uh, forgive me. <laughs> Daniel, can you mute the speakers next door? <laughs> no, don't do that. She says, I planted those seeds. I planted those seeds. I grew that from seed. I grew that from seed. I grew that from seed. She's so thrilled at the harvest that she's seeing. She's so thrilled. And Cain must have been the same. And he brings that to God. And Abel brings the best sheep, the the lambs from his flock. And God says, I'll take Abel's, but I won't take yours. What is that about? Why is God so nasty to Cain? Well, you need to understand the principle of the offering. You see, uh, Cain brought what had grown, and they would all grow again. He could grow some more. He could grow some more. But what Abel brought was the prime lambs, the prime sheep. This was the breeding stock for the next lot of his lambs. So he brought something that was costing him because his future was tied up in these lambs. His prosperity, his future, his destiny as a, as a, a farmer was tied up in his offering. And Cain didn't have that element of sacrifice. And it was that element of sacrifice that Abel brought that was attractive to God. Because God saw that it was not just sheep, it was his future he was bringing. It was all of his hopes and his dreams. All that he could see over the horizon... I'm going to have this flock, and then this flock will make this flock, and this flock will make this flock. And, and that's what I can see. That's my horizon. That's my future. That's my destiny. And if God, if I give you these, I don't know what's over the horizon, but I'm going to trust you. And that act of faith, that act of faith is what God responded to. And that faith, Abel speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead, Paul says. Or the writer to Hebrews, sorry, it's not Paul. Faith translated Enoch from this life and he was kept taken up into heaven. He never had to experience death. He just disappeared from this world because God promoted him. For before he was translated into the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure to God. 
It's really interesting. And without faith living uh, within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we, na- for we come to God in faith, knowing that He is real and that He rewards the faith of those who passionately seek Him. And I love the fact that Enoch was just so passionate about God and God was so passionate about His passion for him that He said, okay, son, come on, you're not going to taste death. And you see, that's our, that's our portion. You won't taste death. You'll die but you won't taste it. You won't be going, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. Because to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. In a moment, in a moment, death can't touch you. Your body ceases to function, but death can't touch you because Christ has you. He dealt with death. You you understand? This is what faith says. So my body's going to give up and I'll kick the bucket and I'll be stuck in the ground, or whatever. But I won't be here, but I'll be with him in a moment. And I I was listening to somebody talk about this who was facing imminent death. And and they said uh, they were an amazing theologian, uh, Bible teacher, and they just said this, I wonder if I'll even realize I've died. Because I'll just suddenly be in his presence. And I've longed for it. And then I'll look, oh, oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here because death can't touch me. See, that's what faith does. So you're not afraid of dying when you have faith. Maybe you're not not looking forward to the challenge of things that, you know, can cause us to end up not living. You know, the pain of illness and stuff like that. And and you don't, I don't want to minimize any of that trauma and challenge. And maybe just right in now, in this moment, well, let's pray for Julie. I mean, she's not dying. She's facing a challenge that could kill her. But God's got her. God's got her. Let's pray. Father, right now, we just pray for Josh and Julie. Pray for Julie's physical frame. Lord, as she's battling this, this uh, challenge, Lord, the poison that the medical doctors have put into her body is just wreaking havoc. But, Father, she's recovering, recovering, recovering. Lord, we pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon her, for her strength to return, for healing to flow through her frame. In Jesus' name, for Josh, we pray, Father, as he's with Tim, doing what a dad and son can do today. I pray, Father, for uh, them to encounter you, to encounter your grace and your peace and your mercy and your love. Lord, stir them, we pray. For, For that family, we say thank you, God. And we pray, believing that you're able to do what maybe doctors doubt. But we can see over the horizon that Julie's yours. That Julie is yours. And she knows it, Father. And we pray for her, strengthen her. Amen. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warning from God about what was coming. Even things that had never been seen. But he stopped, uh, sorry, he stepped into relevant uh, he stepped out in relevant obedience to God and built an ark that would save his family and his, his, uh, him and his family. By his faith, the world was condemned, but Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise. And without ever knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. 
He lived by faith as an immigrant in, a, in his promised land as though he, it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. His faith persuaded them. His faith was beginning to grow in them in a way that enabled them to be the people that God wanted them to be. They were becoming persuaded that, their, that dad's promise, this promise, is my promise too. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power by con- uh, to conceive, even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. And she tapped into his faithfulness. Her, her focus was on the faithful God. And, uh, and his faithfulness produced faithfulness in her that manifested in bearing a child. Because he said, he, you will. And it manifested as something, as a family. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith. One who was, so, uh, one, one was, a, who was as good as dead that he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. They lived their life on earth as those who belong to another realm. That is you and me. We don't belong to this realm. We belong to a heavenly realm. We're seated with Him. We're seated with Christ. Now, we have to journey through this life. But we, we should be people who live with an expectation of what is over the horizon. What is over the horizon? For clearly, those who live this way are longing for for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they had left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater. That is the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. The list goes on and lists people of faith that you can read about. But I want to say to you, we need, you need to be, this town needs you to be. God has designed you to be a person of faith who lives not limited by what you can see. But you begin to choose to believe in what God has said because he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. If he's brought you here, and I speak as one, if he's brought you here from afar, He's planted you here for a purpose. If you're not an indigenous Llanethi person, you're here on a mission. If you're here as an indigenous Llanethi person, God's raised you here on purpose. On purpose. So that you can teach us foreigners how to say Llanethi. (laughs) But he's got a plan. 
Let me just very quickly do two more things. Luke 5, 12 is the record of a guy asking Jesus for healing. And it's just the perfect picture of faith. He says, God, if you are able, would you heal me? <laughs> I'm more than able. Be healed. And it's that simple faith that says, God, God, would you save our town? Would you bring transformation to my family? Would you save my brothers and their wives? Would you, would you save? Would you heal? Would you? Of course I can. Of course I can. Because the act of prayer is an act of faith, not believing. It's not just about believing. It's about faith to ask for what you can't see. And that's what faith does. It pushes you. It leads you over the horizon. It causes you to keep going when the temptation is to go back. I'm sure you know this because I've told you before. But maybe you weren't here when I said it. Uh, the Christopher Columbus's log is in the British Museum. And um, he, when he sailed out over the horizon, looking for what he believed was out there, another land, he, uh, the ship was victualed for the journey, but they didn't know how long the journey was, so they just filled the, the boat with what food they could take. And uh, every, every journey in a, with a boat uh, you come to the place where you, you come to the point of no return because you eat the food that gets you to where you've got. And you know that if you go back, you're going to go, if you go another day that way, you're going to go a day this way hungry. You understand? And he, he got to that point and the crew mutinied because this was the point of no return and there was nothing. They were just in the middle of the Atlantic and they did not know when they would meet land. And so they were now, if we go any further, we can die. We can die. Their, suddenly their faith was beginning to go through the, uh, through the bottom of the boat. And Columbus quashes the rebellion. And in his log, he, fill, he filled the log in, uh, a full log every day to that point. And from that point on, he, his entry just says, sailed on, sailed on, sailed on, sailed on. Because he had faith to believe that there was something. And I want to say to you that people of faith, they don't go back. They have to go forward. They have to go to a different level. They have to go to a different place. They have to believe more than they believed. They have to act more than they act because you see believers behave but faithful followers function and God is calling us to be faithful followers who function faithful followers who function and that's not about doing more work in the church it's about being more of light and salt in this community because these people they'll taste death if we don't meet, help them meet the one who's dealt with death. In the Friendship Center on Friday week gone, there was a 78, 79-year-old man who met Jesus. 78, 79. 79-year-old gentleman. And he's in talking to the, to the guys on the table. And somebody said to me, you need to go and meet him. 
he's got he's got saved. So I went and chatted with him, and he told me his story. He'd, he'd gone to a coffee morning and and uh, never been to church. He's a docker or retired docker, and um, he went into the coffee morning in this church because a friend had invited him. And coming out of the coffee morning, he f- he walked past the door of the church and he felt drawn to go into the church, and. He said, he said this, he said, um, I didn't meet God, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. I met Jesus. He said, I don't understand why, he's, why, he's, why he met me in a Welsh-speaking church where I don't speak Welsh. <laughs> he said, but I love the people there. I don't understand anything, but they translate everything for me, and they speak, and they teach me, and they teach me, and, I've, and I'm reading the Bible, and I've been baptized, 79 years old, and he's met Jesus. He's met Jesus because Jesus is on a mission. He's seeking those who need to be saved, who want to be saved. Oh, yeah, come on, come on. Yeah, I, I finished. We're going, to take the, we're going to take the offering in a moment. As, yeah. Emma's saying, should I get the kids? So that's where she's going. I, um, just the same week that um, we met this guy. I can't remember his name. Ken. Ken, we've got two Kens, Ken, um, the, the, um, that week on the Wednesday, I um, had an appointment in the gallery with an artist, and this artist had got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago, and I've been praying for new craft makers, but specific type of artists that I'm looking for, and um, this um, lady got in touch with me, and I was like, I know that name. And then I realized I was in university with her, and um, I made the appointment for her because I was like, yes, God, this is an answer to prayer. I had a couple of people respond to my prayer. (laughs) They didn't know I was praying, but I was. And um, she was one of the people that responded to my prayer, and um, I made this appointment with her in the gallery, and um, I met her, and... um, I was in university with her uh, many, many years ago, and um, we used to sit at lunchtime in the bar and have food together and talk and have the most incredible conversations. And um, eventually, her, um, some of her, two of her children used to come to. We used to, I used to meet her in the garden here, and I used to bring them into the youth group in the kids' club. And um, she would just drop them off, leave them here, and then go. And um, I had this incredible conversation in the gallery with her. And four years ago, she met Jesus. She met Jesus. And we had God conversations. We had conversations about all sorts of things in university. And we were sat in a pub having lunch most days. That's kind of where we went. And she just said to me, she said, you know, she said, Kate, in January, I felt God tell me I need to get back in touch with you. And I kept putting it off. And I didn't. And then eventually, I just felt that I needed to email you and ask you if I could bring you my work in. And I was like, do you know what, Gaynor? I said, you're an answer to my prayer. I prayed for you to come didn't know that you'd met Jesus and you know it was quite an incredible encounter because she hasn't just met a a religious God she was talking about God as her Lord and her Savior and how incredible he is and how good he has been to her and I was like isn't that 
the right. most amazing story of I just sowed seeds and it was making me laugh when dad brought up the story of my mum about she's sowing seeds and she's so proud of the seeds and sometimes we sow seeds with our lives and we're not proud of the seeds that we're sowing because we're just sowing seeds and we're not seeing the, the flowers grow and we're not seeing the fruit from the, the seeds because we've sown for years and years and years but sometimes for some people it takes years and years and years. Now for Gainer, it's been years and years and years of a time back that we sowed, I sowed seeds of my life with her and her children. And God has taken her on that journey that I wasn't part of because he didn't need me to be part of that journey with her. God just needed me to be willing to give time and sow seeds. And then he does the rest. And isn't that incredible? Isn't that an incredible story? And thus, that would happen the same week. Yeah. I, I came out of that meeting with her in the gallery, and I was like, God is incredible because we're just sowing seeds here as Myrtle House, as a church and community, doing the things that we're doing. The gallery is just doing something that we know how to do, and we're just doing it for the glory of God. But God's using all these different things. What's in our hand? What's in your hand? My dad has always said to me, I, when I was young, I used to say, I don't know what to do with my life. What, what does God want me to do with my life? And he always used to say, Kate, what's in your hand? Look what's in your hand and use what's in your hand. Sow what's in your hand, the, the gifts and the abilities that God's given you. If you don't know, how can, how can you see people saved? You see people saved, see people experience Jesus just by being like Jesus, living in that way. And that's how we sow seeds. I didn't meet with Gaynor in a pub and think, I'm going to preach to you every day. We were friends. We were friends. We would eat and we would drink together and we would talk and we would chat and we would laugh. And we would talk about all sorts of things. But through that relationship, God has sown. He's sown. And she's grown to experience Jesus. And that's how we need to live our lives. It's amazing, isn't it? It's extraordinary. This is how it's okay. This is... What I've wanted to try and do today is, is help you reflect on your true value. Your true value. Your true value is in Him. Okay? Your faith is evidence of, of how you value Him. The more faith you seem to have, believing that the seeds you sow, okay, the more, because that's an act of faith, because you can't see what that's going to grow, that act of faith is trusting that He is the one that causes them to grow. Because he is who he says he is. You're, so I want you to understand that he values you. You're valuable. With, whether you do anything or not, you're valued. You're valued. And I want you to have a clearer understanding as you choose to use the measure of your faith to get a true understanding of who you are in him. As of who you are in him. And then out of that you function. Out of that you are. Out of that you create. Out of that you grow. Out of that you manifest kingdom. So we're going to wait upon you this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to give to God. I've been saying it a couple of weeks now. We're not going to take the offering. We're not taking anything from you. We are creating a space for you to honor him to reflect on who he is to you and for you to honor him with what he has blessed you with. It's a biblical mandate 
to honor God with the first fruits of that which he has blessed you with. And the church has taught historically, you are obligated to give 10%. I want to say you're not obligated to do anything. You're not. You're charged by God to trust him. You're challenged by God to trust him. And he says, trust me with your first fruits. Trust me and watch how I open the windows of heaven to those who trust me. It's an act of faith, the offering. You offer to God what he's given you. You say, God, I'm going to trust you. There's a whole raft of teaching that we could dive into, and I'm not going to do that. But I want you to understand, we're not taking this. You're giving this. You're sowing this. This is an act of your obedience, where God says, sow into the storehouse. Put into the fabric and the foundation. I don't mean the fabric of the building. I mean the put into this place something that can be used for his glory. The day is coming day is coming when uh, our community is going to be really, really oppressed. I don't think we have seen anything compared to what is coming. I can't see over the horizon, and I'm not a prophet of doom, but I do think darker days are ahead. It's biblical. And in those days, the church is going to be a light. The church is going to be the place where people come to, to get food to eat because they can't find food for themselves. They can't. And it's not just a food bank. It's, it's going to be a, a reservoir of food. There's a part of the prophetic word over this place that's going to be an increase of food. I mean, all of our freezers are full, but that'll last two minutes. But there's going to be something different. There's going to, there's going to be a time when the hospitals can't cope because of the way things are going. Uh, but we know one who can heal. And and the church is going to have to rise up and believe that God is able to heal and that our faith is actually manifesting in praying for the sick. The days are going to get darker, but God's light. I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does. I'm not worried about darkness. I'm excited by the light. So we're going to wait upon you for your, this is your opportunity to honor God. And so I asked for two uh, four volunteers, two under 10, two over 50. And I've got one volunteer down here. Sophia was the first one to wave at me. So Sophia and Phoebe. Okay, so Phoebe, I'd like you to stand this side. Sophia, this side. And who's the over 50s? They're always slower. <laughs> Maureen, come on then. Sorry? Claire? Where's Claire? Claire, Claire, come. come. So I'd like you to... I'd like you two to start. Where's the big basket? If you two go to the back. Oh, there's the big basket. Peter's got it. You two go to the back, and I'd like these two to, I'd like you to start at the back and work your way down. So you stand either side, pass it along the aisles, along the lines. That's it, along the. Okay? Pass it that way, all the way down to the front. And when it comes over here, you guys grab it. Okay? work all the way up. So one one side, one other side, okay? And the reason I've done this, this is what I felt God said to me. I want you to, more and more, we, I want, more and more, it's important that we model to those younger than us 
what it is to be faithful in the things of God. And I thought, what greater way than to get our kids to see your faithfulness as you sow and as they look at this basket filling up with people's faithfulness. Okay? This isn't a, this isn't a subtle way to get you to give more money. Please. I, I just want to speak that out. All right? Although it might be really clever. <laughs> and it might do that. No, no, no. no. It, but this is about teaching. Okay? This is teaching these little ones. Okay? By the action of us bigger ones. Okay? And I feel it's really biblical and really important to model it. So we're going to sing this song, okay, that we were singing, or any other song that you feel is appropriate. But uh, I'm going to ask you to stand.